0: This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Avery Kreibold, with Innovating a Bright Future, where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Today, we're going back to a topic from Episode 4, Utility Scale Renewable Energy. I'm talking to Ignacio Fernandez about implementing technology like solar, wind, hydropower and hydrogen across the globe. Through development and project management positions, Ignacio has helped to integrate hundreds of megawatts of renewable energy, and I say that because I literally could not keep track of it. Considering his success in the industries of cleantech and renewable energy, I think you'll probably find some of his opinions surprising. I did. Please enjoy. Okay, well, welcome, Mr. Ignacio Fernandez. You are a technical engineer, a project manager, a business development manager, and an expert on the integration of renewable energy, energy transmission, and hydrogen. You've worked on projects across three separate continents, and you've developed hundreds of megawatts of renewable energy and transmission infrastructure, and you've contracted and overseen hundreds of megawatts more.
1: I think it's a very nice definition.
0: All right. Well, let's go straight into it then. Why do you think we need to be moving towards more renewable energy generation like solar and wind that you've mostly worked on? And do you think that any other technologies like hydropower or nuclear, tidal energy or geothermal energy, do you think any of those other technologies are going to come into play as big
1: as wind and solar will? The society and especially young people are very agree with that kind of movement. Okay? So wind energy is one type of technology that we can convert into energy. So it's a natural resource we should apply, we should develop and we should convert into energy. But it doesn't mean that you are not able to still work with nuclear power, for example into the grid because everybody knows that today solar PV or wind or even offshore wind, okay, are not able to work 24 by 7. The bigger consumers of energy, the industry, the mining, or will need uh, energy supply during 24 by 7. About hydro, I think that the most opposite of the hydro is about environmental. That's my personal opinion because in the past it were a small hydropower stations but today you can find really high hydropower stations with a very huge concrete place put in the middle into river it's a easy thing to get back your investment but i think that the society didn't think that is the best maybe by the seafood maybe by the the animals that live into the river and all those things. So I think that's the main opposite. About geothermal, I'm absolutely enthusiastic about geothermal. Iceland in the north of Europe, maybe everything is geothermic, okay? South America and the north of Chile, you can find geothermic plants. But uh, not all the countries have this kind of resource at the level below of the soil, that you can go and you can explode him. Part of the commitment is solar, part of the commitment is wind, as you said, but I think that finally, if we are able to, to change from gasoline or diesel or all the supply chain, all the gas stations and all the actual natural gas pipelines, okay, most of it will be used as the same supply chain for hydrogen in the future.
0: I am very optimistic about hydrogen, and from what I've heard, so is Ignacio. Hydrogen seems to me like it's a sort of missing link in energy. This is partly because of what Ignacio said. Hydrogen being a gas like natural gas and having similar abilities to generate heat and energy make it a smooth way to transition to a cleaner fuel source. And the good thing about hydrogen is that much of the same infrastructure used in natural gas can be used in hydrogen in the future. If you want to learn more about the electrolysis of hydrogen or natural gas and carbon capture, listen to episode 2 and the episode released last week. The great thing about hydrogen beyond its capacity for being an easy fuel transition is its overall versatility. It's so useful in such a wide variety of ways, unlike many of the other things we're looking at. We can use hydrogen to store energy by generating hydrogen through excess renewable energy and then using it in fuel cells when we need it. We can also use hydrogen to generate heat for homes and industrial processes. It can be used in transportation through electric fuel cells as well as turbines. In my humble opinion of someone without a degree of any kind, I do believe that hydrogen is the way of the future, and it seems like many people with much more experience than me have similar opinions. We just need to keep investing and trust in the process of developing and implementing the technology that we need going forwards.
1: So I think it, it won't be a high change into the society and to how the things work, how it's working in the society is not um, a disruption technology, okay? It could be a, a disruption technology into the manufacturing, but it's not a, a disruption technology into the day-by-day of the people. For example, in Scotland, you have uh, 50% of the population, the heating of the houses, all the boilers were replaced by hydrogen boilers. I did changes from natural gas to hydrogen. You can produce hydrogen not only from water. are several places in the world that water is a very useful resource, but are other places in the world that the water is a main problem. Did you use, or do you use, only renewable energy to produce hydrogen? If you apply energy from a nuclear plant, this nuclear plant is not put in pollution. Maybe a mix between the technologies that are now working together with the actual statement of the renewable energy could be, under my opinion, the best equation for that. But it's most of the people that is only thinking on solar or only thinking on wind. And I think that maybe we should be more open-minded. Let's put an example. The, The main resource for the Middle East should be solar energy, okay? Because it's one of the best places in the world with the biggest uh, solar resource. But uh, let's put another example in uh, Sweden or North Canada. It's clear that solar resource is not the best. Maybe it could be wind, maybe it could be geothermical uh, as you said. Uh, I think that uh, the future will be a mix of couple of this kind of, of productions.
0: We actually need those other technologies. They're not just going to be kind of uh, accessory. In that same vein, what do we have to do to replace the fossil fuel generation, coal or oil plants, with something like a solar farm? What needs to come into place in order for that to happen?
1: I think that actually is a total challenge. If you go to coal plants, thermodynamic point of view, the most productive technology that the human develop. or at least uh, into G20 countries, everybody's thinking close coal plants. But uh, we need to take in care that countries as India, countries as Pakistan are developing his economies. And to develop the economy, one of the key factors is the energy. And they are opening coal centrals every month. So we can close. But if they open... I think that won't be the most su- successful. Let's take care that, uh, okay, European Union, United States, Canada, and all Latin America make the commitment of close coal. If you want to replace that for solar, I think that today is a full challenge. You will need to take in care that the solar production is not uh, flat and uh, you need to apply some kind of storage. Price of storage is not the best. The amount of money, the capex that you need to invest is quite higher. And finally, renewable energy is a financial market as any other kind of markets. In the batteries, I have a question that nobody answered to me. If you look to the lithium reservoirs in the world, and if you are thinking to, okay, we will close out the coal and we will put everything with solar or everything with wind and storage. We don't have this kind of chemical components to supply all the countries. And the demand of the energy is growing year by year. I think it's a high challenge. And I think that maybe it could be depending on the main manufacturers. And up to that, I think that 5G and EOT, Internet of Things, will change everything fully disruption technology because uh, we will be connected, we will be connected to the servers. So we will try to be more smart. If you want to change everything tomorrow and stop tomorrow to put uh, CO2 into the atmosphere, technically it could be possible, but it's not realistic, okay? Because the society and the culture is not the same uh, in all the countries. This kind of commitment is different in one countries than another other countries. This is a huge discussion. If you put uh, six persons into the same table, maybe you can find uh, at least uh, 18 opinions. I think that the disruption technologies, blockchain, uh, machine learning, big data, will be a real, real new world after the application of this kind of technologies and will change everything. Maybe more in the future, artificial intelligence could be the game changer. Not only Alexa or not only uh, this kind of helpers, okay, to use the television or the mobile phone. It's much more deep, the artificial intelligence and the development. That you need to manage all these kind of things. Maybe energy will be one of the last markets because in most of the countries is regulated. In most of the countries is in hands of the state or big utilities belong part of it to the states because it's a strategy, a strategy for the economy and. I think that these kind of technologies, all the data science, be one of the main key factors of what will happen with the mix of the energy in the future and to develop new technologies in order to improve and to put in value what we have today and what we will have in the future.
0: So to sum that up a bit, those disrupting technologies like the Internet of Things, interconnectivity, big data, machine learning, all of that is gonna come sooner and it is gonna make a big difference as well. So if individuals, either now or in the future when there are more renewables on the grid, if an individual or a household or a corporation wants renewable energy for their business or their home, what do they have to do to make sure that they get that? For whatever reason it might be, for cost or for climate change, What do people need to do to make sure that what they consume is renewable? And should they be looking at the utility scale stuff and trying to get utility scale energy? Or because that's a little bit farther away, should they just go straight to maybe more distributed resources like rooftop solar?
1: One of the technologies that traceability of this kilowatt will be, for example, blockchain. If you think that you are connected to a national grid, and near to your house is a natural gas combined cycle, 25 kilometers, and the more near solar energy PV plant, 200 kilometers, always the electron from the natural gas will come before to your house than the electron from the solar plant. Microgrids. I think that disconnect from a large-scale grid is not a good idea. What happened if this community wants to grow. Everything that we have today in in our society is indexed to CO2 or to NOx. I think it's an uh, holistic concept and uh, the population is growing. It's not the same now that, for example, at the beginning of the 20th century.
0: So you talked a little bit earlier about batteries and lithium. How lithium is such a big problem if we're electrolyzing the entire world and we're depending on batteries. So I think this is probably where hydrogen comes in because hydrogen is another form of fuel storage that can be created from water. It has to be pretty pure water. And as you said, we need... An abundance of water to create hydrogen which a lot of developing countries don't have but it's definitely an option for the more developed countries who have the bigger grids how is that gonna start to integrate into those utility scale renewables for the big wind farms the big solar farms do you think we're gonna have like big hydrogen generation to go with that big hydrogen plants huge electrolyzer rigs big tanks of hydrogen Or is that just a little bit too centralized? Maybe each household or corporation will each have an electrolyzer and they'll each have a fuel cell for fuel storage.
1: The main utilities, they are large-scale corporations and they want to make money. That's the first thing. To be honest, the utilities doesn't want to develop storage or hydrogen. Why? If you put several gigawatts of solar PV, or option wind into the grid at the same moment, this is some kind of destabilization of the grid. There are several kind of new actors in the electricity market. Like to put an example with the telecommunication and internet. Maybe 20 years ago or 25 years ago in most of the development countries, only one company, normally public company, and today you want you if you want to make a contract for uh, Phone plus internet plus uh, television packets, You have fifty different providers, uh, and the prices went down year by year about the internet cost and, and and everything. So, in the case of energy, develop hydrogen. I don't think that are very agree at the moment. Okay, they are making a couple of things: European utilities and petroleum companies. Okay, if they want to make a change. They can do it really, really, really fast. But uh, they have assets working. These assets are making money. They have stakeholders. And finally, the stakeholders take the final decision. So what is happening or not? You said hydrogen as uh, competition with storage. Yes, because if you have a solar PV plant or wind plant or offshore plant or any kind of renewable plant, that uh, the price of the pool market price at the moment is near to zero or you can make an agreement with some kind of plant of uh, hydrogen production and you can sell this energy to him and they could product uh, green uh, hydrogen. And hydrogen is not only water, you can produce by methanol, by biofuels, okay, by plastic uh, are, are several technologies. One technology have uh, advantage and disadvantage. The CAPEX today is uh, starting this kind of technology, so we'll be going down year by year. But, uh, for example, I was visiting uh, natural gas turbines, okay, combined cycle, in which uh, this is a small utility. They mix it hydrogen and natural gas into the gas to the turbine, and the turbine works perfectly. So if you go today to the manufacturers of turbines, you will find... Small things in the in the market, five megawatt peak, up to ten megawatt peak, only burning hydrogen. But uh, they are saying that after 2025, they could be able to put in the market 50 or 100 megawatt steam turbines into the market. So I think uh, that will be the inflection point for the energy generation with hydrogen. And I fully agree with you that hydrogen could be a reservoir of energy that you can produce. It's safe and it's cheaper, and you can use it for different kinds of things.
0: I mentioned earlier that you've worked on three different continents, different environments, different project types, solar, wind, hydrogen, biogas. How do we make these viable for developing countries? And how do we incentivize and encourage developing countries who need to grow economically and socially, and they need energy to do that? How do we make sure that they're doing that in the most sustainable way possible?
1: Today, it's a really big challenge. If you want to put large scale of renewables on the country, you need a huge grid that you need to develop and you need to build. Canada, United States, Mexico have uh, excellent grids. In other countries, the quality of the grid and the development of the grid is not quite higher. So maybe you can put a project in the middle of Atacama Desert, the highest irradiation of the world, more than uh, 200, uh, 2000 kilowatt peak per kilowatt hour, below zero during the night. That is perfect for the PV module. And where is the consume in Chile? 2,200 kilometers at the south. So you need to develop this kind of cablings. Okay, it's a huge cost. And somebody needs to, to invest. And obviously, you will need to pay a, a toll to use it and to make the transportation of the energy. Each country is different because each country has these property regulations. Under my experience, normally the environmental impact assessment, it's uh, quite similar into the same countries and you can extrapolate it from one country to another, if you are able to maximize the interconnections on electricity between the countries, countries that one is near to the other, maybe one country could have the excellent opportunity for sun, in the case of Chile, but Argentina have uh, excellent opportunities for wind, excellent network is now real network uh, communications between the countries for the energy. But if they maximize this kind of trading and this kind of energy and this kind of interconnections, okay, both grids will be higher, both grids will be more secured, and you can put more and more and more and more gigawatts of uh, renewable assets into the grid.
0: This is a really good point. And as I've discussed in the past, transmission is incredibly expensive. But, if we can develop energy trading between entire countries as well as areas within a country, it would make the variability of renewable resources less impactful for consumers. Energy markets within cities and tiny areas within a country is notoriously difficult. So I'm going to be doing a bonus episode on energy trading next season to get into these topics, But for now, just know that energy trading is very important, especially as smaller, more distributed power generation comes online across the world. If this is something that interests you, Google it. I'll put some resources in the show notes to give you a better idea of what it's about, and it's a very rapidly growing field, with the potential to build a very solid career on. Just saying.
1: For example, Brazil. Very similar to Brazil is United States. It's not the same kind of uh, development in New York, Boston, L.A., San Francisco to Nevada. It's not the the same kind of development because it's not the same kind of population. It's not the same kind of industry. So make these kind of investments in these areas didn't make sense. Always Portugal said uh, 100% of the energy is generated by wind. Yes, (laughs) it's right. But... All the combinated cycles of Spain are giving back up to Portugal. I think that this kind of exchange, international exchange, submarine cables and all those things could be one of the vehicles in order to develop more and more um, renewable energy assets because not all the countries and not all the places have the same technical climate uh, economical and regulation conditions to develop uh, the same kind of technologies.
0: It's going to be one of those things that takes place differently wherever you look, I guess. Yeah. And we just need to work to make sure everyone's involved. Well, I think that's all of the kind of longer questions that I had for you. I have a couple of shorter ones that I want you to answer just kind of as fast as you can. Your first question is What's your favorite place that you've worked in?
1: My favorite place is a huge answer, but I think that it it was London.
0: That's an interesting answer. Okay, second question. Emission reduction through alternative fuels, alternative energy generation, and improved efficiency, that interconnectivity that we talked about, or carbon capture?
1: Carbon capture carbon capture technologies working here in Spain and in other countries of Europe. And uh, I think that carbon capture could probably help us to reduce the CO2 emissions. The number of employees and the impact of the economy that generate a coal plant, it's much more higher than a solar plant. And uh, all the people is saying the price of the PV modules is going down, the price of PV modules is going down. Let's put an example. Before of COVID, I was trying to make a a huge contract for PV module supply. COVID happened and the price go up. What will happen with the energy markets in all of Europe? The price went down, the stock market went down. Everything was on crisis because anybody knows what will be the future. So in two weeks, the price of the PV modules went down again 20% if people that would see this kind of interview uh, wants to understand. So I think that carbon capture should be the transition technology that we should apply. It doesn't mean that you can develop hydrogen, you can develop a storage, you can develop solar, offshore wind, or, or whatever.
0: OK. Your next question, I think I might know the answer to, because we've talked about it quite a bit already. But for the actual use of energy, Would you say which is more important, load management and time of use so that we're using the proper amount of the renewable energy, or energy storage so that we have that backup?
1: My answer is number one. That's what I expected, yeah. I think it's quite clear.
0: Next question is for renewable power generation, disregarding natural gas and carbon capture and all that, which do you think is the best, wind? solar or a different one like
1: hydro or nuclear no i think that the best is uh, hydro is the best science economical point of view science productivity and science stabilization of the grid and uh, nuclear if we are able to finally get a solution for the fission of nuclear i think is the energy of the future if the fission is real the another kind of things uh, didn't have uh, any kind of discussion about solar PV or wind, it, it will be a real disruption technology.
0: Yeah, a true disruption, disrupt the whole thing, be completely different. So your last question, when you look at your experience, what you know of the industry, do you believe that we can successfully transition to 100% renewables and we can include nuclear in this one? by 2050 in order to meet those carbon
1: neutrality goals? No, it's impossible. Because you, you will need to live into an holistic world. And the, the main problem is that everybody wants to make money. So let's put an example. What will happen with Saudi Arabia, with uh, Iran, Iraq, uh, Qatar, United Arab Emirates? What will happen in the States? If you just say to him, uh, no more fracking, please, they will put problems with that. to to ensure and to match uh, this kind of achievement. All the population of the world needs to make a a huge commitment and we will need to change several things that we are doing every day in our life, okay? And we will change our pattern of life. Maybe we need to disappear. Um, I don't see this kind of commitment at the moment. I, I, I usually travel very often, but at least I didn't see this kind of commitment. I'm optimistic we will reduce.
0: I definitely felt it when he responded so concretely and quickly that this goal is impossible. And I didn't have the energy or the will to respond to him. And it may be better that way because I'm sure I would not have convinced him otherwise, but this is not impossible. Maybe it won't be fast, but it doesn't have to be. We have 28 years to be carbon neutral. The technology we need to do that, renewable energy, Electric mobility, carbon free transportation, it's all here now. And taking an idea from Eric Meyerson here, technology is going to continue to advance, and we aren't accounting for the incredible tech in this space that will emerge as we come closer to 2050. And I don't agree that society will prevent us from achieving this goal. People care. In the last five years, climate change went from a topic no one even knew about to something that millions of people are acting to change every year and as for everyone wanting to make money this is the future of making money there's no money in building new coal oil or even natural gas plants for the most part the money is in renewables they're so much cheaper to build and maintain and free to fuel fossil fuel energy has largely been funded by the public taxpayer money funneled into energy systems that are ruining the planet and consumers won't take it anymore when consumers demand change and the subsidies dry up utilities will find that they're losing more than they're making on these fossil fuel plants. This is the future. Renewable energy is the future. Climate action is the future. We just need to start. And that's the part of the mindset of it being impossible that we can't afford, because if we believe that it is impossible, then we won't act, and we won't do our very best to fight climate change, and we will suffer for that. We have to believe, without a doubt, that it is possible, and work hard to make it a reality. Okay, that's fair enough. It's a little, bit, a little bit discouraging, but I think it's a pretty rational way to put it. Well, is there anywhere that people can find you if they want to learn more about you and what you've been working on?
1: Yes, I'm with my property projects. I formed my own company. It's called uh, Eratosthenes Energy. I want to explain what is called Eratosthenes. Eratosthenes he was a guy that he born in Greece near to three thousand years ago and uh, he went to Alexandria in order to be the director of the Bibliotech of Alexandria. It was destroyed. This guy went to the beach normally every day. I suppose to look to the sea or to have his property time for him and they put a bar into the sand and they left it in the morning in the morning okay the shadow go to the left and in the afternoon go to the right so this guy make a rationation in that if the shadow is changing from the morning to the afternoon the only possibility is that uh, the Earth is moving around the the sun. They make a theory. They calculate uh, the perimeter of the Earth with only a mistake of 40 kilometers. So I think that this this is real value. It will be for a a Nobel Award in that time. So I I related Eratosthenes with solar, okay, because he started his kind of thinking, looking to solar, okay, so the company is uh, Eratosthenes Energy. And we are trying to mix uh, renewable energy and data science. We are developing projects in Spain, in Portugal, and in Bulgaria. At the moment, we started uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And our idea is to try to mix uh, renewable energy projects, renewable energy assets, and uh, try to put uh, data science with big data, with machine learning, with all these kind of developments into the assets management of the renewable energy. That's my occupation at the moment, and I suppose that everyone could find me on LinkedIn. You know that I'm an open guy.
0: I'll let them know that that's where they can find you. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was great talking to you about all this uh, integration topics and everything that you've shed some light on for me. It's been really really informative, this conversation. So thanks for coming on.
1: No, thanks to you for your time. My pleasure, sir. Okay? You're welcome.
0: Welcome to the outro, and thank you as always for listening to the whole podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you found the interview illuminating. We need utility-scale renewables. We do. We need distributed energy too, but we do need utility-scale energy systems that are carbon-free if we truly want to reach carbon neutrality by 2050 and power the world by wind, solar, and water. So it's been a great experience to talk through that process with Ignacio. I'll put some further reading resources in the show notes along with Ignacio's company and ways to get in touch with him. Wow, that was really hard to say. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with one person that you know would enjoy it and give them your favorite episode to start them off. Follow the show's social media and also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter to stay up to date. All links are in the show notes. Thanks again, stay innovative, and I'll see you next week for the final episode of this season.